Ohio Habla es un podcast que nace del proyecto Narrativas Orales de Latinos en Ohio, Oral Narratives of Latinos en Ohio. Exploramos la experiencia latina con entrevistas en español, inglés y spanglish. Welcome to Ohio Habla. I'm Elena Fallis. My guest today is Dr. Ana Luz Porsenkaski. Dr. Porsenkaski has devoted her career to understanding biodiversity and sustaining it for the future. She is an evolutionary and conservation biologist and the director of the Center for Biodiversity and Conservation at the American Museum of Natural History. She obtained her undergraduate degree in biological sciences from the Universidad de la República in Uruguay and her PhD degree from Columbia University, where she carried out research on the evolution of South American arid land birds and on international environmental policy issues. Bienvenida a este episodio, Ana. Gracias. Es un placer. Eh, y quiero mencionar a la audiencia que estamos en, en dos estados diferentes, Ana y yo. Eh, yo estoy acá en Columbus, Ohio, y Ana está en Nueva York a causa del famoso virus por, que, está, eh, que estamos pasando por esta pandemic, ¿no? Estos eh, meses. Ana, tell us about yourself. Where did you grow up? Thank you. I'm so delighted to be on this on this podcast. First, I do want to say that to everybody uh, listening, I hope everybody is taking all the precautions that are being recommended by officials and staying safe. Um, and it's a pleasure to be able to talk about something else for a little bit. <laughs> so I grew up in Uruguay and Brazil um, until I was 10. I was actually in Brazil. I was born in Uruguay, then we moved to Brazil because of political reasons, you know, there were a lot of disruptions at the time. And I went back to Uruguay when I was 10. And then I grew up there uh, and did um, high school there and my college education there, um, where I got a wonderful education at the Universidad de la República in biology. Mm -hmm. um, then um, I wanted to pursue graduate studies. Um, and I also had met an American man that I'd fallen in love with. And so everything was pointing towards moving to the United States for a while. And that's what I was able to do. I obtained a wonderful fellowship and was able to study at Columbia University and the American Museum of Natural History, mm. where I've been working ever since. Great. So now I'm both Uruguayan and American. Great. <laughs> muy bien, muy bien. Uh, can you tell me about your journey as a Latina scientist I know there is not a lot of um, representation, um, although we're growing and, and you know, the, the field is growing. Um, what are the challenges and opportunities? You know, it's interesting because I grew up, uh, my father's a scientist. He's, a, he's an agronomist and plant breeder, and my mother's an architect. And I grew up thinking of myself as primarily a scientist, right? When, once I got my degree and once I started here, It really took me many years to, to realize that maybe others were identifying me as Latina. Like, I wasn't even thinking about it, to be honest. I was surrounded by science in Uruguay. Mm -hmm. Scientists and science are very strong in Latin America. And so, you know, that was, that was a, a, my, my primary <laughs> kind of identification. Okay. And then um, I did realize that, you know, many people thought I was perhaps exotic. Um, it helped that I spoke and speak very good English because I studied it from a very early age. Right. And um, 
I think I've been very lucky, to be honest. I'm sure there are challenges, but I also live at a time where people are very mindful of, of unconscious bias and mm. potential discrimination. Yeah. And I have had amazing mentors uh, and supporters, and I've had many, many opportunities. Uh, and so I really don't feel that it has uh, held me back in any way. Um, I also don't feel that it has dominated my persona or even my career. However, we'll talk a little bit about when we talk about the Cuba exhibition, Mm -hmm. clearly being from Latin America and speaking Spanish and understanding Latin American cultures was a huge plus and opened a huge door for me. Um, I will say that sometimes I, you know, I'm not only a Latina, I'm also a Latina with European grandparents. And so I have this Polish last name and mm-hmm. um, I have encountered colleagues who say, why, why do you have to have such a difficult last name? And they can't spell <laughs> it. You know, and that is clearly I had trouble at pronouncing at the beginning. Don't worry. <laughs> don't worry. But it is irritating that I, I would say. Um, but um, I, I think that, you know, I've been lucky that it's been a very rewarding career full of mentors and colleagues who have supported me. Um, and, um, I would encourage anybody, anybody who's interested in science from any background to join any aspect of the scientific enterprise. We need you. Right, right. Uh, Anna, tell me about what you do as an evolutionary and conservation biologist. So I trained as an evolutionary biologist, and that means that I was interested in understanding how diversity of life evolves on the planet. In particular, I was interested in certain groups of birds that are found in South America Mm. and that are in some cases only found in certain areas. And we were wondering how did they come to be distributed in this way? You know, was it that there was some kind of earth history event like uh, changes in the landscapes and the ecosystems or mountain ranges that have isolated them from one another? Or was it that they moved around? And so I used DNA and information, DNA data, as well as data from the animal's um, phenotype or the way they look, right? So their colors of their feathers, et cetera, to reconstruct their evolutionary history, the tree of how they diverged over time, which species was most closely related to which, et cetera, to try to understand their current distributions. And this was some research I did a long time ago, but shortly after I finished my doctorate, Um, I also studied, you know, ecology and environmental policy. I started working at the Center for Biodiversity and Conservation at the American Museum of Natural History. And there I started practicing conservation more broadly, uh, which is uh, what I've really devoted the the, the last 16 years of my career to. And um, there what we do is really all kinds of different uh, research applications from modeling where species will be distributed in the future or where they might be distributed today uh, to understand either how they evolved or where they might be found to um, understanding how uh, people and culture and nature interact to result in ecosystems that are resilient to understanding how we can develop better tools to monitor wildlife populations. And so right now, I oversee and collaborate with a number of colleagues at the center. And as director, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of overseeing all these, not overseeing, but you know, uh, supporting, I would say, all these projects. Um, and we do a, a broad array of conservation work. We also 
do um, the try to develop capacity in others to do conservation and and, and strengthen their capacity to do so. Um, we, we try to connect people and people through many events so that we can find collective solutions. And so being a conservationist is much broader in a way than being an evolutionary biologist, but I find that I'm always using all of it uh, in, in, in our work. Great. Uh, Anna, you are the co-curator of the exhibit Cuba, uh, a groundbreaking bilingual exhibition on Cuba's biodiversity and culture, which is one of the largest exhibition of its kind ever presented in the United States. This exhibit is the result of Explore 21 Expedition to Cuba in 2015. Talk to us about how this project was created. What are some of the main things the exhibit wants to teach us? So this was an incredible opportunity. Um, as the museum, let me explain that the museum has been collaborating with Cuban, museum scientists have been collaborating with Cuban scientists for over a hundred years. Mm. So we've always had connections to Cuba. And um, it just became apparent in, in 2014, 2015, that you know, there was this, this rapprochement, this uh, uh, real opening that was happening or was in the horizon. And um, we, became, we became very interested in, in really uh, exposing to the public what we see as a remarkable archipelago both biologically, geographically, culturally. And so we felt that, you know, people had this image of Cuba. There's the Cuba they know that they can imagine, kind of like a, a Cuba of politics, you know, controversial politics, the Cuba right. of old cars and big cigars and amazing architecture and music, kind of like a postcard view of Cuba. Mm. But there's also the Cuba you don't know. There was more to Cuba. Cuba has... First of all, it's a large archipelago of more than 4,000 uh, islands. And it uh, has every habitat that you can find in the Caribbean is found in Cuba. We felt it was an opportunity to really um, get our visitors to understand who are the Cuban people. How is Cuba's biodiversity, the diversity of life that you find in Cuba, so unique because it is how is Cuba connected to the rest of the world? Because we had been very focused on a, on a narrative of isolation, but Cuba is also very connected right. biologically and culturally. And how is Cuba changing? All eyes were on Cuba, and we thought it was a good time to engage people in understanding um, that, that country and that region better. And we had the benefit of collaborations that existed already with the Museo Nacional de Historia Natural de Cuba, the National Museum of Natural History in Cuba. And so we did it together, which was an amazing opportunity. And then as, as, as all of that was developing, we also developed plans to do a groundbreaking expedition to Cuba, which took place in 2015. And if anybody wants to see more about that expedition, they can go to the AMNH website at amnh.org and uh, look up SciCafe, there's a talk that I gave with my dear colleague, uh, Angelo Soto Centeno, that describes the whole expedition. Mm, great. I'm so, so excited to, to get this, um, this exhibit here in, in, in Columbus and, and get it open and available for everybody to, to come see. Um, sorry, so did, did I interrupt you? Were you no, 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 that's all right. <laughs> please, keep, 
Keep asking. I have lots to say about these. <laughs> Great. Uh, so um, this exhibit has been out for a few years. And, and once everything opens back up, you, um, we are going to have it. We're going to host it here in Columbus, Ohio at COSI. Uh, but I wanted to know what feedback you have received so far and what impact is it having on those who come to learn? And, and I mean, I'm fascinated what you just said, right, that, that Cuba is is more than um, our idea that, uh, that, that can be uh, summed up in a postcard, right? Uh, the old cars yeah. and, 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 and politics and things like that. And, and, and that is much more than that. Um, and there's a whole um, range of things that, that, are, that are also Cuba and that we're missing out uh, if, we, if we just have a narrow view of, uh, of what the country is about. So yes, I'm excited to hear about what, what you, the feedback that you have received uh, so far and, um, and the impact it's having. Yeah, so let me tell you a little bit more about the exhibition so I can put that in context. We wanted to cover both the, the ways in which Cuba is biologically unique and also culturally so special and distinctive, right? And so as you walk into the exhibition, oh, very importantly, we wanted the voice of Cubans to shine through the exhibition, right. right? We wanted it to people to understand who are the Cuban people, but not because we're telling you, but because they're telling you, right? right. And so we worked with a wonderful uh, photojournalist team. They went to Cuba and did interviews with people from all walks of life. And so the exhibition is bookended. It starts and it ends with these vignettes from these interviews and mm. photos of these Cubans that you can meet and hear about why what makes them cuban why do they love cuba mm. what are the challenges they see for cuba and at the end of the exhibition what are their dreams and aspirations and fears about the future um and so it's really we wanted that to be very authentic um and and i think that that was um a great way to do it we also knew that at some point we had to address the history of cuba right. but this was not an exhibition about history and so what we ended up doing is uh, working with some wonderful advisors as well as a, a phenomenal team within the museum. We produced a short documentary on the history of Cuba. It is only 10 minutes. And I have to say, it is the one thing, it was the most challenging piece of the exhibit for me. And I think a huge success because it has withstood the test of time in the last few years. And it is, I think, extremely balanced. I mean, we had close collaborators from Cuba come to the opening of the exhibit, including many government officials from Cuba. Mm -hmm. They sat through that video very quietly. <laughs> I was very <laughs> nervous, waiting to see what they would say. And they said, you know, I think that was very balanced, yeah. which is quite remarkable. And so that video is only visible, only, you can only view it in the exhibit. Mm -hmm. And uh, it has amazing stock footage of really the history of Cuba from the the arrivals of indigenous peoples to Cuba to, to the 21st century. Mm -hmm. And that allowed us then, once you had that background, to deepen your experience in the Cuban experience. What is it like to be in Cuba? What, what, why is Cuba biologically unique and culturally unique? And so as you walk into the exhibition, we decided to recreate and highlight certain uh, very distinctive Cuban ecosystems. So we have a recreation of the um, um, Humboldt National Park, where we led the expedition in 2015. We have a, with live animals, very exciting. Mm -hmm. And there's a wonderful documentary too, uh, with many Cuban scientists talking about the expedition and the work they do. We have a recreation of 
the Gardens of the Queen, the Jardines de la Reina, uh, coral reef, one of the healthiest reefs in the Caribbean. And you can walk as if you were underwater, surrounded by their creatures. We have a recreation of the Zapata wetlands and the cave. And why the cave is actually the first part. And that's because we wanted to highlight the remarkable kind of paleontological, uh, paleobiological history of Cuba, um, that Cuba has had some remarkable animals that have now gone extinct, uh, but really amazing, such as the, the giant owl that stood almost a meter tall. Um, and you can see a recreation of this animal in the exhibit. And we wanted to highlight through all these um, dioramas and exhibitions, all these kind of very unique things about Cuba, like Cuba has the smallest bird in the world, hmm. the hummingbird. And there's a model of it, and you can see how teeny it is. Mm -hmm. Cuba has one of the smallest frogs in the world, and um, really weird, amazing mammals as well that we wanted to highlight. And then on the culture side, we decided to highlight uh, through exhibits um, Afro-Cuban religion. Mm. Uh, we decided to highlight, <clears throat> excuse me, um, Cuban uh, art and Cuban tobacco. And the response to all of this has been really tremendous, to go back to your question. Um, one of the interesting things I didn't expect, um, you know, we, we made a decision to put a, an old car in the, in the exhibit. So, <laughs> a little spoiler. Um, and at first, I thought it was a big cliche. But guess what? Many people who came through the exhibit um, actually were moved to tears when they saw this car. Many, mm -hmm. many Cubans who left Cuba decades ago haven't been back. Right. Seeing this car brought them back to their youth and their childhood and their memories. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a very powerful exhibit for people. Um, I think that uh, for the uh, Afro-Cuban religion community and the Santeria community, being their practices represented uh, with such, you know, kind of like a respect and, and right. in the exhibit was also very important. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's your favorite uh, feature about this exhibit, Anna? Well, I would have to say, you know, I'm a biologist, and so all of the biological stuff was tremendous. Mm -hmm. But the art, the art section, the section about Cuban art mm. was so wonderful for me. Um, I, we worked with these um, young poster designers and graphic artists, mm -hmm. and we feature many, many different kinds of Cuban artists in the exhibit, but we have two walls full of these posters, and I thought they were so insightful. Mm -hmm. These posters were many times commissioned by the Cuban government, and um, they have so many layers of meaning. They are so interesting. Um, they are a window into the Cuban psyche, the Cuban sense of humor, and how Cubans talk in very kind of subtle ways about their own reality. So I don't know, it's very hard to pick a favorite, but mm -hmm. uh, those, those posters were a highlight for me. Right. Um, has it, has it, uh, the exhibit been around to a couple of different places or is it made? Yes, yes. Well, it has been, uh, it was shown at the Kennedy Center uh, for the arts, I think I'm getting the name right, um, in Washington, D.C., during a, a very large Cuban arts festival that took place there. It's also been at the Discovery Place in Charlotte, North Carolina, mm -hmm. and COSI is next, so we're very excited for that. I know the timing is tricky, but we will get there. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, 
So you talked a little bit about Cubans, um, how the exhibit also shows Cuba, Cuba's culture, its people, and its history. And, and one of the things that um, really is catching my attention is this importance of having the Cuban people tell their own story and, and how they understand um, the place where they live and, and, and their own identities, right? Um, and have them, having them um, speak about this, which is so important, right? It's not, um, it's not you telling their story, is them telling their own, their own story and their, their own history. Um, tell me about that, uh, this piece. I'm, I'm interested, in, 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 uh, interested in, in, in knowing a little bit more about how that went about uh, talking to people and what kind of things did you learn? What, were there any concerns um, that they expressed or was there, I mean, any sense of uh, celebration of like, Pride, I'm sure, uh, of living here as well. So, can you can you um, share a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. In the middle of the exhibit, we have a promenade or a boulevard that aims to recreate like a like a pedestrian boulevard in a Cuban city. There are several of those, and in there we have objects and vignettes that that allow you to kind of understand a little bit better how Cuba has changed. So, for instance. The fact that we put the car in the exhibit, yes, it was, it, was an, it was an interesting prop and object, but it also was an opportunity to talk about why are these cars still circulating in Cuba and how did that come to be? And so every object in the exhibit is, a, is an insight into history and culture. We also have a um, display about Cuban carnival, which is an incredible mix of you know Chinese, um, African, and Spanish traditions. We have um, an exhibit about food and food carts in the city where we can talk about how Cuba has done um, remarkable strides in terms of urban agriculture, distributed agriculture and urban gardens. And so it, it has been, I think, a way to show this through objects. We collaborated with two um, wonderful uh, advisors one was Dr. David Brown, who's a, a, a Santeria scholar and mm -hmm. practitioner. And I learned so much from him. And the way he designed the section on Afro-Cuban religion was a real lesson for me. It was very important to, that it be done uh, in a respectful way um, and in a knowledgeable way. And he brought out pictures of all these um, um, Santeria or um, um, uh, different practices, um, you know, associated with it, elders of the of the religion, and made a kind of shrine to them in the exhibit, which was very touching and the first time that has ever been done. Um, the artists also were able to come. The poster artists, as I mentioned, they were very proud to have their work exhibited and did workshops with the public wow. on how to design them um, and. Um, I think at the end, you know, seeing contemporary Cubans talk about the future and what they hope for Cuba and seeing how resilient they are and how they have different minds, you know. Uh, the exhibit ends with a quote from a, a, school, a school kid mm -hmm. who was interviewed on the street. And he says, you know, we keep learning about all these things that happened with the United States and others. And I'm, I'm done with that. I want to move on. You know, this is all the past for us. Right. We want to live in the present. And, you know, it's very interesting to see that because I feel that we, we, we need, it's time to evolve our relationship with Cuba. 
Right, right. Anna, what other projects are you currently working on? Well, um, in the museum, you know, we, we do exhibits all the time, but not the same people are not always tapped to be curators. Um, and so I'm not working on any exhibitions at the moment. Um, but um, in the Center for Biodiversity and Conservation, we have a diverse set of projects that I think are very important and making a difference in terms of um, conserving biodiversity on the planet. Um, we have scientists working on um, uh, how to monitor flamingo populations in the high Andes of South America, uh, especially in the area between um, Bolivia, Chile, and Argentina. Mm -hmm. uh, my dear colleague Felicity Arengo uh, is the lead of that, and it's a really interesting situation because these flamingos depend on these wetlands, very high altitude wetlands, which also happen to be right there, the high, the the, the largest deposits of lithium and brine in the planet. And why do we need lithium? We need lithium for uh, rechargeable batteries and batteries for green electric vehicles. So really conserving biodiversity on the planet is, a, is, is, is what people call a wicked problem, meaning there is no real solution and there is certainly no easy technical fix. So we're trying to understand everything that we do. We try to understand there's a complicated, complex system and find ways to act on that system such that the system moves into a better direction. It's not like, oh, here's a problem. We're going to find a solution um, and fix it once and for all. We really need to be adaptive. Um, we really need to be understanding both the social and biological and other dimensions of every problem. And that's what we're trying to move forward uh, at the center right now. Is there anything else you would like to share um, about your work, um, uh, your, your staff maybe, the things that they're excited about during this times, um, or anything else about, uh, about you? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I just hope I get to come to Ohio and yes. uh, win the exhibit. <laughs> I was supposed to come, and I was really looking forward to meeting everybody at COSI and all the COSI community and visitors, and um, I would love to, to make that a reality in the future. Uh, we have a wonderful partnership with COSI at the American Museum of Natural History, uh, and I, I think, uh, I hope that the Ohio and uh, Columbus folks are really enjoying that. Um, and I would encourage everybody to uh, check out our website at cbc.amnh.org, and especially if there are any educators mm -hmm. in the audience we also have a project there that produces free and available teaching and learning materials Great. for anybody who wants to learn about conservation or teach about conservation. Um, it's called the Network of Conservation Educators and Practitioners, that program. And you can look it up on our website and download uh, over 150 different topics in conservation. So that could be useful for folks to know. Right, right. Yeah, especially nowadays, we're all looking for online materials and ways to continue to engage with our students, yes. um, K through 12 and, and, and university and in and all, all kinds of ways. So this would be a great resource. Yeah, um, the, the direct website is ncep, ncep.amnh.org. Okay, great. Ana, gracias por esta conversación. Un gran gusto. Muchas gracias a ti. 
A todos, gracias por escucharnos y recuerden seguirnos en Facebook y de compartir este podcast con otros. Hasta la próxima. Thank you.